Good Sunday morning, Bethany Bible Chapel. Listen, we have, we have gathered together today. Sounds like a marriage ceremony, doesn't it? We have gathered together today to celebrate. To celebrate. If there is a day that we should celebrate as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, today is that day. So I hope you're ready this very morning to celebrate with me. I do want to take uh, 30 seconds or less, a brief moment, to say uh, this on behalf of my family, Katie, who is here today. Some of you have wondered, am I really married? I am. Uh, Katie is uh, with us today. More evidence of our marriage. Our children are here as well, uh, Anna, Kate, and and Johnny. And uh, we, as a family, we as a family, just want to say thank you. Nine months ago today, uh, I got sick with a virus you've heard of, and uh, it was a challenge uh, for our family. We've been through a bunch, and it has been, I'll I'll just tell you, some of the hardest days uh, for us, but some of the very sweetest days, and I say that uh, sincerely. We want to say thank you for your care and prayer support. Uh, We've been overwhelmed Uh, by the body of Christ, nationally and internationally, as they came alongside of us uh, to help us carry a burden that was uh, too big for us to carry on our own. Uh, So we say thank you. Uh, I've uh, not fully recovered, um, but we're getting there. I'm learning to trust the process of recovery, and uh, we're well on our way. And so we're grateful. We stand before you just grateful. I stand before you. They're sitting. But we, uh, we are here grateful for tender mercy and sustaining grace that has simply been confirmed anew and afresh uh, for us as a family during this season. So uh, praise his name. What a privilege to worship with you today. Uh, to lift our voices in song, and to indeed celebrate. I want to ask you, I want to ask you, what, what do you have to celebrate today? What is it that you celebrate? And I want to encourage you to, to tell somebody today, I celebrate this today. Some of us have received text already today and have said to one another this uh, all-familiar phrase, He is risen He's risen indeed, and so we celebrate that today, but we have much to celebrate, and I want to give you three things that just have come to my mind over the last little while that I am so thankful to celebrate with you today. Three uh, celebration hooks you can hang your hat on this Easter morning, this resurrection morning. The first is this, we can celebrate today the greatest feat the world has ever seen. Years ago, actually decades ago, I came across this summary of the Passion Week of Christ, this last week that I trust you've been lasered in on this week. I trust starting on Triumphal Sunday, a week ago today, that you looked at what happened each and every day. You were careful and you were intentional to think about what our Savior went through on our behalf. Did you do that at all this week? Again, decades ago, I was challenged with this thought, the word feet. F-E-A-T, that today and every day we can celebrate the greatest feat the world has ever seen. Letter F, this is free, you might want to write it down. Letter F, I learned this decades ago and I say it every season, Easter season and beyond. Letter F stands for fatal torment. Fatal torment. Did you think about that at all this week? Did you pause to read, to watch, to listen to something that would cause you to think about intentionally, carefully, what our Savior went through physically? The suffering of our Savior. The darkness of death before the the light and dawn of the resurrection. Fatal torment. 
For me, he died. And for you, he died. And we need to celebrate the fact that he did so on our behalf. In my place, in your place, condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a savior. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in and through him. So think about today, anew and afresh, that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced fatal torment. Letter F. Letter E. Empty tomb. Amen? Amen. Empty tomb. Have you read this week? Have you read today? We did so when we gathered this morning to remember the Lord Jesus in a special way as he encouraged and instructed us to do. Have you read any of the accounts in the gospel where the tomb was found empty? The evidence is overwhelming, isn't it? It's overwhelming that the tomb, the grave, is empty. And we celebrate that this very morning. Letter, letter F uh, is what I forget. Fatal torment. Thanks for coming today. Letter E, empty tomb. Letter A, I love this one. I love them all. Today's a day of celebration. I hope you're ready to celebrate with me in an appropriate manner. Fret not. Love the shirts, by the way, guys. <laughs> love the coordination. I feel like I missed out. Letter A represents appearances. Appearances. Do you have a favorite? Have you ever taken the time to study the different appearances that we know the word of God records for us? Those who, who saw, listen to me, they saw the risen Savior. I'll tell you, I'll confess, one of my favorites, if not my favorite appearance of the risen Lord was when he appeared to Peter. Think about Peter for a moment. We won't for long. But when he appeared to Peter, you know, Peter is the one who denied the Lord Jesus three times. He said he wouldn't, and he did. And Peter is the one who, who saw and watched with others as the Lord Jesus was crucified, the fatal torment that he experienced. And he's one that we can read in the gospel accounts that was involved in investigating uh, the reality of the resurrection. But there's a verse in, in Mark's gospel where it records the resurrection account where the angelic being makes this declaration on behalf of the risen Lord, he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Don't you love those two words? I love those two words. Go tell his disciples and Peter. In case you missed it, Peter was one of the disciples. Why the special mention for Peter? You see, the risen Savior had on his mind and heart Peter especially because of the betrayal, the denial and the lack of opportunity to make things right before Christ died and was buried. And now he says, go tell the disciples and Peter that he is no longer here. He is risen. There are two accounts, aren't there? At least, 1 Corinthians 15, Luke 24, that indicate to us that he appeared privately to Peter. I love that. Can you think about that conversation? Can you think about what Peter said to the Lord Jesus or what the Lord Jesus said in return to Peter? An appearance, one of hundreds. You see, today we celebrate the greatest feat the world has ever seen. F, fatal torment. E, empty tomb. A, appearances. Study them today, this week, in the days to come. What is your favorite? Appearances. Letter T, transformed lives. Do you know anybody, by the way? Do you know anybody whose life has been transformed by the risen Savior? I stand before you as someone whose life has been transformed by someone else. I don't deserve it, 
but he has radically and eternally changed me. A transformed life. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should celebrate that with me today, that our lives have been transformed. And since he died, was buried, rose again, and was seen, lives have been transformed and will continue to be transformed. And I ask you today, has yours, has your life been changed, transformed by the risen Lord? Number one, celebration hook number one for your hat today is this. We have seen the greatest feat. We celebrate the greatest feat the world has ever seen. Secondly, I invite you to turn with me, by the way, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We won't be here all day, although I want to say this to you. I know you don't have much going on today, and so I want to say to you, here's your homework. Own this chapter. I dare you. I dare you today and in the, the coming days to own 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some of you have the ESV Bible app, and I think it, 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 the chapter is entitled, The Resurrection of Christ. This chapter is all about the resurrection. We're not going to own it together today, but I challenge you, as your schedules allow, and let me tell you, they do allow. You just need to make a, a, a priority of lasering in on uh, the reality of our Savior and the fact that he died, was buried, rose again, and was seen. The greatest feat the world has ever seen. Hat, uh, hook number two for your celebration hat this morning at 1058 is this. The grand and glorious gospel. The grand and glorious gospel. And I want to ask you this question, and I know some of you have been on the planet for a while, and you're familiar with the concept of the gospel, but I want to ask you, regardless of age and, and how long you have known the Lord, or whether or not you know the Lord at all, how would you define the word gospel? The gospel is blank. What would you say? And let me tell you this, there is a right specific answer. We know the concept of good news, that the word gospel uh, represents the idea of a proclamation, a declaration, a heralding of information that was received and embraced and then proclaimed. We understand that about the grand and glorious gospel. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have it laid out very plainly for simple folks like me. I remember years ago, really, again, decades, being in class at Dallas Theological Seminary. And we had a guest lecturer in that day. His name is Dr. Larry Moyer. Dr. Larry Moyer is involved with a ministry entitled Evantel, one of the best gospel outreach ministries I'm familiar with. And Dr. Moyer spoke that day in our class on this passage. And let me tell you a little something about Dr. Moyer. If you don't know the name or are unfamiliar, he has a very uh, pronounced, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, pronounced speech impediment. It is obvious to anybody who hears him speak that he has a challenge in that area of life. But let me also tell you that he has been used mightily of God with his mouth that is impaired to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Clearly, clearly, clearly. And I remember like it was yesterday when he explained to us in that class entitled Personal Evangelism what the gospel really is. 
And he talked about four verbs, four verbs of the gospel that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you there? Verses 3 and 4. Four verbs of the gospel, and you'll notice with me this very morning that they all have to do with this. Evidence, evidence, evidence. You see, today we celebrate the game changer. Today we celebrate the event that has overwhelming evidence. No other Savior has done what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And we celebrate that today, the grand and glorious gospel. Celebration hook number two for your hat. Four verbs. Notice what it says. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, high priority, what I also received. He received this grand and glorious message, and now he's unashamedly willing to proclaim it. He says so in the previous verses as well. Look at them on your own. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's number one, that Christ died for our sins. There's a root cause and a root problem um, that is the reason anyone dies ever. It's sin. On death certificates, that would be the most accurate, and we need a little bit of that these days, the most accurate reason or cause for death. Sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ died, verb number one, by the way, for our sin. There's a statement that's made twice in these two verses, other evidences that we'll see as well. But notice it says that Christ died for our sins. How do we know that to be true? According to the scriptures. You see, Paul uses that to establish the evidence, the proof, the reliability of the gospel message. The word of God said this would happen, and it did happen. I can't get over, I can't get over the overwhelming evidence that we have in prophecy that has been fulfilled. And much of it, not all of it, has been fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Scripture said this would happen. Christ died for our sins, verb number one. How do we know that to be true? Where's the proof? The Bible says so. According to the scriptures, it would be good for you. It would be good for us. We won't take the time to look up those scriptures that said it would happen. Hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. That's proof. That's evidence. Game-changing event. That Christ died for our sins, verb number one, according to the scriptures. And that he was, what's the second verb? Buried. What does burial evidence improve? Death. You see, for each one of these verb statements, there's an evidence Evidence of verb number one is the Bible said it would happen. What happened? Christ died for our sins. What's the evidence of that? He was buried, verb number two. He was buried, which means, don't miss this, which means that it indeed is finished. That he fully and completely satisfied the requirement of the holy and righteous Father, who, who said and required that there must be death, perfect, sinless death in order for my wrath to be satisfied. And when Christ died, indeed it was. We had a Good Friday service and we looked at the seven utterances of the Lord Jesus from the cross. A great study, by the way. A great exercise for, for us to appreciate anew and afresh the greatest feat the world has ever seen. And when Christ suffered, bled, and died, the requirement was made in full for your sin and for my sin. We can celebrate that today. 
And if you're here on Easter Sunday and you've never accepted what Christ has provided and offered you today, listen to me now. This would be a grand celebration for you to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I was blind, but now I see and I get it. And I'm going to trust in the one who died for me. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, how about today, Easter Sunday? Be reason for celebration. What is verb number one? My mind's simple, I forget. He died. What's the second verb of the grand and glorious gospel? He was buried. What's the next? Look at what it, look at what it says. And that he was raised on the third day. I will tell you, this is my favorite day of the year. Not the 17th of April, but Resurrection Sunday. I love it. Can you tell it all? I love it. And the overwhelming proof and evidence. I love the stories of grand scholars, those who wanted to prove that Christianity is a fraud. And as they considered the evidence, their lives were changed as they trusted in the one true and living Savior. You want proof? Listen to what it says. And that he was buried. How do we know this is true? What does Paul say in this grand and glorious reminder of the gospel message? He says it's according to the scripture. The Bible predicted and prophesied that as well, didn't it? Twice in these two verses, the evidence of Scripture is referenced. We need to bank on, rely upon the Word of God. We need to keep our fingers on the page. This is where we find the special revelation. And twice Paul says, you want proof of these things? The Word of God says it. According to the Scripture. According to the Scripture. Scripture prophesied not only that he would die, but that he would be raised on the third day. I love what it says in verse 5. What's the fourth verb of the grand and glorious gospel? Appeared. And what names are dropped in verse 5? Just one, right? And that he appeared to Cephas. Who is that, by the way? And Peter. Then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Hello, you want evidence? Most of whom remain until now, Paul writes. But some have fallen asleep. We'll talk about that in just a moment. What do we have to celebrate today? What are you celebrating today? Tell someone. Maybe you'll join with me in celebrating three things. Number one, the greatest feat the world has ever seen. Number two, the grand and glorious gospel, the four verbs of the gospel. I remember Dr. Moyer summarizing the gospel in that class when he went through these four verbs and he said, here's the gospel message in a nutshell. Tell it often, tell it clearly, tell it boldly that Christ died for our sins and rose again. That's not tricky, is it? That's not complicated, is it? But that is the grand and glorious heartbeat of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins and rose again. And so today, our souls can awake and we can celebrate that fact and truth. The grand and glorious gospel. For 20 minutes, I'd like to look at the third reality or the third consideration for celebration today, and you'll have many more and share them again with others. I celebrate this fact that death, listen to me, that death has been abolished. I love that. Paul tells his son in the faith, Timothy, as he's writing his last will in the testament, will and testament in chapter one, he reviews the gospel. Do you think uh, Timothy knew the gospel? He knew the gospel, but Paul wanted to remind him of the grand and glorious gospel. And in the midst of that reminder, he says, this is what happened. When Christ appeared, and with that statement includes these four verbs, he abolished death. 
And here's what he's brought. Listen. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? We can celebrate anew and afresh today eternal life. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So reason number three that we can celebrate is that death has been abolished and we need not fear it. What is your theology of death? What do you know the word of God says about death? What is your view of death based upon God's truth? For the next few moments, I'd like us to think about death. It's an important day to do so. To think about death and the reality that it has been abolished and we need not fear it anymore. We've heard a lot about death these last few years, haven't we? Never in my life have I experienced so many people counting the number of people that have died. We still get reports, don't we? Not nearly as often, and I'm thrilled for that. Death is reality. It's been appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so my question for you this very morning is what is your doctrine, your theology, theology in regards to death? I would suggest to you it would be a good exercise to do a little more digging. Because although we wish more was said about it, I'm not convinced that we know clearly what has already been revealed about death. And what a crucial thing for us to, to have the right biblical understanding of. William Barclay wrote a book, and in it, he identified numerous perspectives on death, representing Greek philosophers of old. As I read these four, I want you to ask and answer this question. Is that how I view death? He says this, Aeschylus, he quotes, this is what he, Greek philosopher, thought. Once a man dies, there is no resurrection. Is that your take on death? That once a man dies, there, there is no resurrection. How about this one? Theocritus wrote this, there is, there is hope for those who are alive, but those who have died, those who have died are without hope. Is that your philosophy regarding death? Let me read that one again. There is hope for those who are alive, but those who have died are without hope. Are you there this morning? We celebrate today something different, right? We have hope. And even though we grieve, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Catalyst wrote this. Once our brief light sets, there is one perpetual night through which we must sleep. Is that your take on death? Pretty discouraging perspective, don't you think? Once our brief light sets, there is one perpetual night through which we must sleep. Three philosophers of old, I said four, but three this morning, that offered a wrong, erroneous perspective on death. What is yours today? Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If you were to head back to Dubuque, Iowa, as we will do later this afternoon in Asbury, there's a little cemetery there. Some of you know Dan and Martha Smith buried there. If you walked around that little cemetery, you'd come uh, to a gravestone, and you'd see these names, 
Russell and C. Matilda Glock. And right next to their tombstone, you'd see these names. David A. Glock and Melvina Melzi Glock. And on each of their tombstones, there are portions of scripture taken from our text from the, for the remainder of the day that say the following. On my grandparents, it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And on my parents, it says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. We will always be with the Lord and so we celebrate today that death has been abolished and life and immortality has been brought to light through the grand and glorious gospel. Those verses on my grandparents and those words from a familiar passage on my grandparents and parents' tomb is taken, gravestone is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 17. And let's just consider those for the remaining time that we have together. You know there are numerous passages of scripture in the book of Acts, in the epistles, all throughout the New Testament that are go-to resurrection passages. You have homework today to dig into one of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we might make reference should time permit. But another one that often doesn't come to mind is this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I felt it appropriate for us to consider because death has been in our face. We've heard much about it. Many of you are thinking about it and thinking about the reality of your own. Many of you have lost loved ones. I know that to be true. I knew them as well. I would venture to say that we all know somebody who has died the last year or two. Is that not true? That's a reality of life. And so how do we deal? And how do we respond? You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is writing to a young church, a group of individuals who have been saved and are enthusiastic about the life change that they have experienced. In chapter 4, in the beginning of this chapter, specifically verses 1 through 12, he encourages them to continue doing something that they were already doing, to continue thinking the way they were already thinking, to continue in what they knew and understood. In summary, verses 1 through 12, he was saying to them and to us by way of application, keep growing, keep growing. Stay clean in regards to immorality and cultivate love. Cultivate love. It's amazing when you look at this book, 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, talk about this beautiful concept of faith. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, talk about the importance of love to cultivate it, to work hard at it. And then the rest of the chapter in the book talk about our hope. Faith, love, hope is emphasized in this particular letter to the church at Thessalonica. 1 through 12 were things they had straight and they needed to just keep their hands to the plow, keep growing, stay clean, cultivate love. But in the, the rest of the chapter, he says, you got to think right to live right. And you're ignorant, you're uninformed, and I, so I want to correct that. I want you to think right in regards to an important reality that everybody needs to know, understand, consider, and have a theology uh, in regards to death. What do you know God's word says about death? Here Paul writes and he says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant brethren about those who are asleep. We could say much about that term asleep. Time will not allow, but I might read a footnote that'll wow you a little bit. In regards to the word asleep, which was a word that they used for death, but death of the body. 
not of the person. You've heard the expression for those who are absent from the body and at home with the Lord, that they are uh, alive more than ever. And so Paul wants this church And he wants us as believers to think right in regards to death. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. The reality of death brings grief, doesn't it? For everybody, we all grieve, and we all grieve differently, and grief takes different uh, looks and forms and fashion, and it takes longer for some, and there's stages of grief. We know that. But Paul is writing here to believers and says, I don't want you to grieve like those who are without hope. Grieve because there's reason to, but be reminded that we have a hope that is certain and sure. And we celebrate that hope today. Verse 14, he says this. For if we believe, and we understand in the original that it conveys this idea of since we believe. It is true that we believe. We do believe the four verbs of the gospel. That Christ died, was buried, rose again, and was seen. And the evidence for those things. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. That's a loaded verse, my friends. A couple years ago, I was in this passage about this time of year, and I was talking to my children. And I said, listen, I need a title for this message. Here's what I'm thinking. And they say, you know what? That's too many words. It's too long. People won't remember that. And so they, they brought me a little clarity. And so uh, together we, we landed on this statement. Because he rose, we will rise. <laughs> I love that. Because he rose, we will rise. Death has been abolished, and life and immortality has been brought to light through the gospel. Since we believe, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you remember the summary of the gospel message that Dr. Moyer taught us? Here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins and rose again. Here Paul says almost those exact words. Since we believe, because we believe that Christ died and rose again. That's what we celebrate today. The greatest feat the world has ever seen. And because we believe that cognitively, emotionally, volitionally, believe that for saving faith we have a hope that will not disappoint so we don't have to be afraid of the numbers and we don't have to be afraid of the reality of death are you Listen to what he says. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again since we do even so in the same way Just like that, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Just like Jesus died and rose again, that reality is true for believers. Listen to this footnote regarding the phrase, are asleep. Listen, I know what time it is, so do you. Nothing's going to burn, everything's okay. Listen to the footnote are asleep. The body, hear me say this to you, and I would suggest to you this needs some correcting in your thinking. The body, not the soul, of the believer who dies is said to sleep during the time between death and resurrection. Let me say that to you again. Hear it. The body not the soul of the believer who dies is said to sleep during the time between death and resurrection. For those that we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are now absent from the body at home with the Lord, they are with the Lord in soul form and fashion. Their bodies are where? 
in the grave. That is what sleeps. That is what is dead. But not permanently. Not permanently. Notice what it goes on to say. For we, verse 14 again, for if we, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's the heartbeat of today, even so God will bring with him, with the Lord Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So those who are absent from the body at home with the Lord, Christians in Jesus, key phrase there, one day they, with Jesus, are coming back. They're coming back. And if we just happen to be the ones who stay and remain, and Paul included himself in that group, by the way, the imminent return of Christ, nothing else has to happen until he comes to snatch up the church, the body of Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. I love the emphasis of the word of the Lord. It's like the Old Testament saying that the prophets would declare, Thus says the Lord. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. And maybe Paul was thinking that that special revelation of truth that he received from the Lord Jesus. But on the same par and on the same authority, thus says the Lord, this is what we received from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, and let me just ask you, don't you want it to go down that way? Paul was including himself in that group, that we who are alive and remain. He really thought it was going to happen that day, that, in that time period, in his lifetime. Imminently, he was living in light of that. That we who are alive and remain, here's what is a reality. Until the coming of the Lord, which was referenced in verse 14, different than the second coming. You can do your eschatological study on your own. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. So we get the order a little bit. We don't go first. We don't precede those who have fallen asleep. They, with the Lord, come in, in glorified state at that time. Hasn't happened yet. Do your homework. But the Lord Jesus will come back with all those who are with them, with him, excuse me, absent from the body, with the Lord. That's the heartbeat of heaven, that we are with the Lord. And when the Lord returns for his body, the body of Christ, those who are absent from the body in Jesus are coming with him. Ha <laughs> ha! Isn't that exciting to think about? My mom, my dad, my grandparents, you can name a bunch of folks too. They're coming with him. They're coming. Not here. We'll be right back. That's a reality that we need to live in light of. But then those who remain, we shall not proceed those who have fallen asleep. Their bodies are dead. Read 1 Corinthians 15 on your own today. But their souls are very much alive. alive. Here's how it's going to go. Three things will happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. That's where he is. And that's where he's coming back from. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. You ever wonder who's going to hear the shout? I struggle with hearing a little bit these days. My family on the regular, on the daily say, would you stop speaking so loudly? They'll say it again today, I'm sure of it. Dad, we're right here. John, please. I can't hear that well, but let me say this to you. This is a shout I will not miss. Some would suggest that everyone, saved or unsaved, will hear this shout. Love that consideration, don't you? This is going to be a day that rocks a lot of people's worlds. I have a dear friend, his name is Dr. Steve Witter. We've been texting this morning about all that we have to celebrate. He serves the Lord in a full-time way in Fremont, Michigan. He's one of my favorite song leaders. And last week at our assembly in Dubuque, Arbor Oaks Bible Chapel, I think it was last week, I don't remember. 
but we recently sang a song when we all get to heaven. You know that song? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, and here's what Dr. Witter did, big wit, wit dog is what I like to call him best. Here's what he would do. He taught us when we were in the audience where he was leading that song. He said, when you get to that word shout, shout it. So last Sunday I was at church and we got to that, we'll sing and shout. And everybody looked at me like, what is his problem? We have a lot to shout about. And one day there is coming uh, and there will be an utterance and declaration of a shout that we will hear, hear regardless of the aids that are necessary these days. What a shout that will be. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel will hear the voice of the archangel, a shout, a voice, and a trumpet. I love all three of those things. Simultaneously, this happens like that. And the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a little order to the reality of this miraculous event. You've heard said at graveside services, I've said it. That one day, one day, these graves will be opened. There will be grand and miraculous transformations that occur. These bodies that are dead will be changed and glorified in a moment. First John tells us that, 2.28 and following, 3.3 three, through 3.3. Three. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. The heartbeat of what is yet to come is this. Always being with Jesus. Know what is true of my folks right now and your folks and other people that we know are absent from the body at home with the Lord? They are with the Lord and they will always be with the Lord, always. And so whatever the Lord does, we do it with him. That's the reality. We will always be with the Lord. We're not gonna be stuck in these clouds and doing nothing. We're gonna be with him ruling and reigning celebrating. Can you believe that? My, my son has one of my dad's Bibles this morning, and there was a card in it, a note card, and it just had some numbers. You know what these numbers represent. One, seven, one thousand, dot, dot, dot. One day, that's all it takes. Could be today. The Lord returns. With a shout, with a voice, with a trumpet. Could be today. Then there's seven years of tribulation. Literally ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And then dot, dot, dot. Eternity. My dad had that in his Bible to remember with just a few numbers. Things to come. What does Paul say at the end here, friends? Last verse of this section. We need to be guilty of this, and we need to do it far more consistently than we do. You know what he says? Therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? Looking at verses 13 through 16, in light of what was just said, we need to come alongside one another and say, you know what? I want to comfort you with these words. We will always be with the Lord. Back in the day, I tell you this as I'm closing. That's right, I'm closing. Don't worry. Back in the day, I used to have a cassette. Do you know what a cassette is? Anyone? Remember those? I still have it in the attic in a box. It's a cassette, and it's by a group called Prism. Anybody remember Prism? Somebody help me remembering Prism, a Christian group. And they had a, thank you for coming. They had, they had a song that they sang, and it can still be played. It was just based upon this simple statement. We will always be with the Lord. And so you know what I'm supposed to do with that truth? 
And you know what you're supposed to do with that truth? You're supposed to come alongside the people that are grieving and that are hurting and that are struggling and that are wondering and say, you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. Here's the greatest feat the world has ever seen. You want to know the truth? Christ died, was buried, rose again, and was seen. You want to know the truth? For believers, we are always going to be with the Lord, period. Take it to the bank. That's the truth. We're supposed to comfort one another with these words. We've gathered together today to celebrate. What are you going to celebrate today? The greatest feat the world has ever seen? The grand and glorious gospel message? The fact that death has been abolished and life and immortality has been brought to light through the gospel so we dare not fear death? What else are you going to celebrate? Dig in and see all the evidences for celebration. But could it be that today is the day you celebrate and we celebrate with you where, we, where you trust in the one who died for your sins, was buried, rose again, and was seen, that today is your day of celebration, of salvation. What a perfect day to trust in Christ the day we celebrate his resurrection. Father, we have reason to rejoice. And we thank you that we can look forward to a day of rejoicing. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and, and shout the victory. We thank you for the greatest feat the world has ever seen. Help us think long and hard about it. The fatal torment, the empty tomb, the appearances, and the transformed lives. We thank you for the grand and glorious gospel that Christ died, was buried, rose again, and was seen. We thank you for the overwhelming evidence of such truth. And we thank you that death has been abolished and life and immortality have been brought to light through the gospel. And we praise you that we near, need not fear death. Help us to have a biblical uh, theology of death. We need not fear it because it's been defeated. Father, I pray that we would live in light of these truths and comfort one another with these words. We will always be with the Lord. If there's someone here today that can't say that with certainty, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for them and for all of us, a day of celebration. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.